Welcome to The Lead, the Hartford's executive podcast series, where some of our company's most innovative and engaging leaders share their thoughts about leadership, career development, our company, and industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Lead. I'm your host, Paula Angelo, and I head internal and CEO communications at the Hartford. Our guest today is none other than the Hartford's chairman and CEO, Chris Swift. Chris, thanks so much for joining the lead today. We are thrilled to have you. I'm thrilled to be with you, Paula. I look forward to this. Thank you. I want to spend the first part of our conversation really hearing about your career path, your journey from the very beginning of your career to where you sit now, and some of the learnings that you experienced along the way. You have talked about becoming a golf caddy as a high school junior in the suburbs of Evanston, Illinois. Talk a little bit about what that was like and what you took away from that job that still influences you today. Yeah, happy to. I thought it was a wonderful job for a 16-year-old and just being outside, you know, every day. And I think what really, um, you know, in hindsight, what it really got me exposed to was, you know, different people. I did not grow up belonging to a country club so this was a more affluent, you know, crowd, business executives primarily. And you learned how to interact with different type of people. You learned from them and, and speaking to them and communicating with them. You couldn't be timid or afraid. So it turned out to be a wonderful experience where you grew confidence and you grew knowledge that you didn't have prior to that experience. Yeah, and probably just Getting people like that in a more relaxed environment, too, gives you an opportunity for the kind of conversation that might not happen as easily in other situations. Yeah, and, and a lot of the members were perfectly happy to tell me what they do. You had to you know, have the confidence to put out your hand, shake a hand, and say, uh, can you tell me about? And I'm just intrigued and interested and curious. That's great. So that was your jumping off point. And then after high school, you went on to Marquette University in Milwaukee. That's where you met your wife, Mary. After graduation, you began your career in public accounting. So tell us a little bit about your early career experience and particularly what sparked your move to insurance? Well, let me first say that I was so fortunate to meet the love of my life at Marquette, my dear wife, Mary. It is almost to the day, Paula, that you know we've been connected one way or the other for 40 years. You know, reflecting on those 40 years, it's been a thrilling and exciting and you know, rewarding journey to really share you know, those 40 years with someone uh, you love, uh, you can confide in, supports you, no matter how much you might upset her, <laughs> uh, which I might have done once or twice over those uh, 40 years and surprised her in some ways. So that's been fantastic. You know, as far as you know, the business career goes, I became accountant principally on my mother's pushing. You know, she was a, a finance person, non-trained. She didn't graduate from college, but she did my father's books and records for his small business in Evanston, Illinois, and said, uh, yeah, I think you'd like to be an accountant. And I didn't know much about the business world at that time, but uh, I said, okay, I'll give it a try. And and then upon graduation and, and joining a public accounting firm, yeah, the business of accounting that I really got into early on was auditing, you know, where you went into different organizations and they kept the books and records, but our role or responsibility was to provide a 
attestation function to the accuracy of those books and records. And you had to look at every aspect of the business and really understand a business from the beginning to the end. You had to document a lot of workflows. You had to ask a lot of questions to fully understand and get the evidence you needed to do that attestation report. So I found it very thrilling because it was all new, you know, the business of it. But you know how you interacted with your clients was collaborative, was you know, respectful. But you you had a role to do, and you had to get the answers. And I just thought it was was fun. And you know, the business of public accounting at that time was sort of industry specific. So I was focused in financial services, banking, mutual funds, real estate, and then of course insurance, both life and property and casualty. And then as you progressed over the years. I developed that industry concentration or focus in both uh, life and, and property casualty companies. And I've, I've loved it ever since. I didn't realize the importance of, of insurance to the economy and how it kept uh, the economy moving, how it took risk off the table for different uh, business owners or individuals, uh, protected wealth and obviously life insurance. So um, I, I just was fascinated by it because I, I saw a higher purpose. You know, look, I've been doing it for 40 years, so it's uh, it's what I know and really what I love. After doing public accounting for 20 years, I, I probably longed a little bit for more frontline ownership. Again, the audit function was sort of back-ended, you know, sort of attestation-focused. I probably had a desire to be more front-end, more involved in strategy, more involved in execution of a business plan. I was presented with an opportunity to join AIG American General in Houston, Texas, and we moved the family from Chicago at that time to uh, Texas and then came to New York and then obviously to, uh, to Connecticut here. So yeah, I've been very fortunate, but at, at the heart of it, Paul, it was probably seeing something different and more proactive side of business as opposed to just reporting on it. So let's fast forward. You're now in the world of insurance and you came to the Hartford as CFO in 2010, and then later went on to become CEO in 2014. And I'm curious, what's it like to work as a C-suite leader? And what might surprise somebody who's not part of that area of our company about what the day-to-day is like? Well, there's a couple of different you know, angles, I would say. I mean, you, you have to be prepared for a spotlight. People will pay attention to just about every word you say. Uh, we'll try to read body language, and you just got to be comfortable to ultimately be trustworthy and genuine, and you know, honest in, in speaking with people. The role of the CFO and the CEO is there's a spokesperson role in a lot of those activities. Obviously, when I worked with Liam, you know, Liam was ultimately the chief executive and and had the ultimate responsibility to set strategy and vision and communicate that to all constituents. My communication constituents was primarily to investors at that time, rating agencies, board of directors, and then employees also as far as, you know, the financial results. So uh, there's a heavy communication component. There's a heavy vision leadership component. I would say, you know, lastly, you know, motivating people to achieve things they may not be able to think they could achieve on their own. And with the power of, of team and, and really working together uh, and inspiring people to sort of stretch maybe beyond what they think is possible, 
I think Liam did that exceptionally well, and I learned that from him uh, early on. You've been asked uh, in some employee forums about mentorship, and I know that you've talked about a few mentors, Liam among them, the Hartford's former uh, CEO and your immediate predecessor. You've also talked about the influence of your dad as an entrepreneur. Talk about your experience as a mentee and how does that shape how you approach being a mentor today? Well, I, I didn't, you know, again, realize it at the time, but from early on getting into, into the business world, establishing relationships, you know, with peers, obviously leaders, I thought was is important to, you know, really learn and, and grow. And I've always felt if, if you outreach to people sort of in a genuine way about learning and growing and asking questions, you know, either during the work hours, maybe after over, over a dinner or beverages. It's a lot of ways to, to sort of, you know, get the feedback you are looking for if you're really serious about growing your career. And I was, you know, principally because, you know, I, I don't know, I was competitive and wanted to, you know, get promoted and make progress, you know, earn more money, you know, wh- whatever motivates an individual and, you know, and, and your own satisfaction. You know, that, that is personally, I, I think, a big motivating. So, so you feel good about yourself, your skills, and how you're contributing to your team, to a community, to a larger you know, business. So those were all you know, the things that maybe it just came natural, but you had to approach it in a fashion where it was real and, and the other people would want to share. And I, and I, I approach it the, you know, the sort of the same way. If, if someone is really genuine and honest, and you could tell that, they really it wants to just learn uh, in experiences and have dialogues or I'm, I'm, I'm happy to assist. And I've, I've done that quite a bit uh, over over my career done it with my four kids um, they didn't know it at the time but you know they were they were being mentored but yeah I, I find I find it in, in important and I find it rewarding you know after you know nearly 40 years in business to you know really give back and share experiences that may or may not help someone and it's how they internalize the data points the sharing and you know, what they do with it is, is up to them and I'm happy to spend the time, you know, helping. And I think it's important for our company. We're a pretty sustainable organization after 213 years. And I just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we have the team, you know, ready for the, uh, the future. Let's take a short break. When we return, more from Chris Swift. Hey, Hartford employees, make sure to visit iConnect, where you'll find all the latest news on our business wins, well-being tips, benefit updates, upcoming company events, and so much more. But if you can't see it daily, be sure to read iConnect Week in Review every Friday morning. That's where you can get caught up on what you missed. We now return to the lead, the Harford's Executive Podcast Series. Welcome back. We're talking with Chris Swift, the Hartford's Chairman and CEO. Your thought leadership really extends beyond the Hartford. You've, in particular, been a really important voice on issues that include opioid addiction and mental health in the workplace. Can you talk a little bit about why these issues are so important to you and what you hope to accomplish? I think they're important to our our company and and society. And uh, on the opioid crisis, I give John Kinney a lot of credit for showing me the data on just what opioids can do from an addiction perspective, obviously a health perspective. And 
if, if you look at our firm, I mean, we're in the business of getting people healthy, you know, whether it be with our workers' compensation business, our disability business. So at the core of who we are, I mean, we take care of workers, we take care of families, and it just felt like a natural extension to talk about it more. And then when you really study sort of, you know, the impact to society, and it's not only a healthcare impact, it's a productivity impact, it's the impact of family members and how that affects their, their work productivity. So I, I always viewed it as a, as a health issue and, a, and sort of an employment issue. And for employers, you know, I was encouraging them to, to understand and get behind it, to really deal with maybe stigma, to deal with flexibility and empathy with employees that might be experiencing addiction and or you know, family members. And likewise with mental health, the mental health stigma issues and patterns are very similar you know, to the opioid you know, crisis. I think we're better for society. I think we're better as communities and companies if we really acknowledge that you know, people um, need help and make sure we have the resources, the support mechanisms for people to seek out health. And then when you really study mental health, that you know, sometimes from the onset of a mental health condition to treatment, it could be as much as a decade different from a time perspective. And it's almost like infallible of how can um, people not be getting the treatment they need for you know, their conditions. But you know, here we are today, and we're just trying to do our small part to allow people to feel less stigma, to feel support and empathy for those uh, two important life conditions. I know for me personally, hearing you talk about mental health, particularly during the peak of the pandemic was really meaningful and important. And it makes me also recall just how you approach some of these big issues really as a student of history. And I know that you're an avid reader and history is, is sort of the area that you focus on a lot. I'm curious how that factors into your day-to-day thinking and, and your approach as a leader? You know, history has many lessons, things to do and, and things not to do. You have to sort of approach it in, in that way. It's, I mean, and there's great examples of great strategies, great inventions, great breakthroughs. But again, you know, how people you know, use history to help shape their thinking and approach and philosophy, I think, is important. History doesn't necessarily have to repeat itself, but there tends to be recurring themes that every generation or two will, will, will go through. So, uh, again, I, I find it like interesting just to explore and understand you know, different time periods to understand how the leaders, whether they be elected leaders or you know business leaders, uh, you know, think. And then ultimately, how do you have the confidence to move forward with great conviction, great boldness? to really try to achieve uh, something that may not be uh, achievable in in the near term, but over the long term, if you really stick to it, you you can achieve great things. So I I just view it as an opportunity to sort of get energized, learn, and then apply it practically to what we face as a a community, as a a business. There's a lot of talk these days, Paul, as you well know, on, on sort of divisiveness sort of in our country. But when you really study it, that's sort of a founding principle, right? Debate, make sure all views are, are heard, and then obviously try to reconcile and pass uh, legislation or do things for, for the greater good. And that's that's been part of our, our history for a long time. And there's been great periods of 
divisiveness. But again, the principles of a democracy still, I think, are the best principles you know, going forward. And those are some of the, when you really study history, those are some of the principles you could see repeating itself. So let's pivot and talk a little bit about how you approach your role as really the visionary for our company. As chairman and chief executive officer, you oversee the Hartford's corporate strategy. And of course, that strategy really hones in on underwriting excellence, differentiating our customer experience, getting more efficient as an organization, and and obviously maximizing talent. Um, And at the same time, we've also committed to a set of behaviors, which are be courageous, breakthrough, and better the experience that really are intended to serve as the foundation for everything that we do. Can you talk about the intersection between our strategy and our behaviors? What's the relationship and why, why do you think it's important to think of them in tandem? Well, at first, I would say on, on strategy, Paul, ultimately, the chief executive is the ultimate owner and decision maker on strategy. But I think the smart chief executives engage their teams and collaboratively work on opportunities, data, trends, and really have a, a ground up and a top down type strategy. I, I find that the best. And I think we've done that very well here at the Hartford over the years. You know, look, I, I think our strategy uh, has uh, evolved o- over a period of time to one now of, of growth and innovation and being you know, really in a totally different position. So that really feels good. And it means that we've had the right set of actions or strategies over a long period of time to put us in the position we are today. And sort of the components then of, of that strategy are the outcomes. And if you really look at the outcomes, and you've heard me talk about this before. I mean, we are a performance organization. You got to perform. Results matter. Uh, metrics matter. Our stakeholders matter. And uh, the bar is high from a performance side, which we've consistently been meeting. But the other side of the equation, I think you talked about from the behavior side, is sort of the how side. So if the results and performance are the what, the how is just as important. And some of the how components, as you know, you know relate to innovation and breaking through you know, relate to teamwork and, and collaboration, uh, relate to sort of ownership and personal accountability and you know, how you motivate yourself to uh, you know, to perform at a high level every day. And I think they work in tandem. It's it's maybe, I don't know, it's like the sun, you know, sun revolving around its axis. I mean, the axis provides the stability uh, and obviously the sun you know, provides you know, the energy. So they work in tandem. And I think the way, again, we treat people uh, the way we treat our customers, the way we embrace inclusivity and diversity, I think all speaks to sort of the how part of our equation, Paula. When we were talking earlier, you touched a little bit on the fact that we're a sustainable organization that's been around for 213 years. You've been with the company since 2010. As you think about the evolution that's occurred since you've arrived, how do you think we've lived into that concept of building something for the long haul? Well, you're, you're, you're right. I mean, where we are today compared to 2010 is, is dramatically different. And I think that sustainable mindset has always been part of our, of our thinking of, you know, what do we need to do for our stakeholders to remain competitive, you know, relevant, contributing to our communities and, and, and all our stakeholders. So I think we've had that at the heart of all of those 
major tough decisions that you know we took over over those years, whether you know Liam took them or I did in, in, in various circumstances. But you know we've reshaped our portfolio of businesses. We've exited, but we've also done some M and A. I would say a fair amount of M and A to add to our capabilities. We've improved our, our balance sheet strength. You know, we've improved our cash flows. Obviously, our earnings profile has grown substantially. We're generating, you know, excess capital today compared to consuming capital, you know, years ago. You know, we've had an investing mindset, investing in our capabilities, whether it be products, whether it be our underwriting tools, whether it be our broad-based technology platforms. And then recently, you know, we've been focused on our digital data science and now AI capabilities. And We've really made that a hallmark of how that's going to differentiate ourselves over a longer period of time. But at the core, we're an underwriting company. All our businesses are underwriting-based businesses that need to make judgment about risk and aligning with price. We enjoy great distribution relationships across the, uh, the country. And more and more of our distribution is both property casual orientated and group benefits. We're rolling out new products to the market faster and more completely than we, you know, we've had before. So I think we have all the ingredients, Paula, for long-term success and sustainability. And it's just up to each of us to uh, own it every day and perform to the highest levels we can. Thanks to everyone for listening to this very special edition of The Lead. Until next time, I'm Paula Angelo. This has been The Lead, the Harford's executive podcast series. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you'd be notified on the latest episodes. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.